And without further ado, let's let's jump in. Um, before I forget, let me tell you, if you are new with us, welcome. And if you're not, welcome back. Uh, we are in a new series called The Epic Story, and we're in our second week of that series, and we're going to dive in right now. Uh, a recap from last week is that we looked at the very first line of Genesis chapter 1, um, where there's this creation poem that is seeking to show us some things about who this God is that the Hebrew people have been claimed by, and now they are following him. And the very first line is actually quite startling because it says that God is not angry with his creation, with humanity. And that notion that God is not angry stands in stark contrast to every other creation story uh, that we know historically. In every other creation story, the gods must be appeased. Uh, you have to make them happy. Some type of payment or tribute or sacrifice has to be made, or else they're going to be they're going to be mad. This God, however, is different. And the good news is that not only do we not have to work to make him happy, uh, but he himself is happy to provide what we need. Yeah, <laughs> kind of interesting. So that's where we left it last time. And I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 again. Before we begin, I want to remind you that this last week we talked about the fact that this is a poem and that the genre of literature does matter. And as such, because it's a poem, it's not trying to prove something uh, demonstrable to you or subjective to you with data, like the earth was created in seven actual days, or was it 400 billion years. It's not trying to prove anything like that to you. It's a poem. And so it's important to see what words and themes get repeated over and over again. And I'll remind you that in the Hebrew world, if they wanted something to stand out, they repeat it. So let's read on in this creation poem and see what we find. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which there is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days, and years. 
and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the great light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with the swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with its with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God said, everything that he had made, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. It was very good. It was, the word there is, tov meod. One way to understand this is to say it was exponentially better on the day that he created man. Specifically, he said, it is tov meod. That word means muchness, abundance. There was a force to it. And then it says there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And of course, we know that on the seventh day, God rested. Why? Because it was enough. Like, God gets done and looks back at everything and he's like, oh my me, <laughs> this is amazing. That's what he said, he said, oh my me. And so let's look at a few things here that I think are significant. Um, because this is a poem, obviously I said before, you know, it's not trying to prove anything to you. So you have halfway through that he's creating things that create light, but at the beginning he says, I already created day and night. Well, I don't know how you create day and night without creating the lights in the first place. It's a poem. It's not trying to describe something very specifically to you. It's trying to say something about this God and his creative power and what he's about and his relationship to us. So let's look at a few of the things that I think are significant. One is this repetition of it was evening and it was morning. In the Jewish world, their day starts with sundown. It goes from sundown to sundown. But why is that significant? I think it's because God wants your day and my day to begin with rest. He is not interested in us 
resting from our work and our production. It's the other way around. He wants you to know that your work comes out of your rest. Why? Because if you view it that way and live into it that way, then your work can become worship. So let's think about this for a second. This is written to a group of people. They've been enslaved for generations and their only value comes from what they produce, from the production that they bring forth. God says, no, stop worrying about production. It's okay. It's good. It's all good. You're good. Take a rest. Just breathe for a minute. The other thing that is particularly significant is this phrase, it was good. It was good. It was good. And there's another one I want to get into at another time, but it's it's the one where he says, and it was so. But this one, you catch that refrain over and over again. It was good. It was good. It was good. What we see this story doing is reaffirming the goodness of creation. But if we're not careful, if we let our sin drive the story that we're in, or that we think it becomes the driving force behind why the Bible, the story that the Bible is trying to tell, or that God is trying to tell with our life, what we can begin to do is to tell the story as if the story is bad, as if everything is evil. What God is doing in this creation poem is reaffirming the goodness of creation. He's saying, I am a good God who created a good world full of good things, and I created you, Tov Meod, really good. That has profound implications for us. Number one, it teaches us that God is good. He is not angry or mad or disappointed. He's not up in heaven and all frustrated like, oh my word, what am I going to do with these people? How am I going to deal with these people? I give them everything they need and they just mess it all up all the time. God is never in that position. God is not reacting to you in the story of this world. He is always for you. He is always for me. He is always with you. He is fully present everywhere all of the time, even in your really bad mistakes. He's there. He's not holding out on you. That is what this story reaffirms. The invitation of Genesis 1 is to rest in the relationship with God, with this particular God who is good and he is enough. This is a God who knows exactly what you need before you need it and will give you every good thing. And sometimes we tell the story of God well because of the victories that God brings in our lives. And sometimes we tell the story because of our faithfulness when it seems that there is no victory going on. This is the story that God has started telling from the beginning. What he's saying here to these people and what he's saying to me and to you is this, you matter to me. You are gonna know me and you're gonna make a difference in this world. What did he say on all those days of creation? When he created light, it is good. When he created the oceans, it's good. When he created plants and animals, it's good. When he created the stars, it's good. And what did he say when he created you and me? You are infinitely, exponentially more than good. You're perfect. You're perfect just the way you are. There there are a lot of different ways for you to understand your story, but what God is doing here is this. He's taking your story and he's making it perfect. Genesis 1 is about a God 
who's good and he's with you and he's for you and he's not holding out on you. And that changes everything about everything. Maybe you understand exactly what it feels like to be abandoned or to be rejected or mistreated. Um, God's story for you is good. The question is, will you trust that? The problem for us isn't believing the theory that God wants to tell a good story with our life. The problem for us is letting go of the lies we hold on to that are the things we actually make decisions by. And that's the very thing that God's love should set us free from. So we're going to head to communion now, the Lord's table, which we celebrate every week here at West Seattle Christian. Um, and while we do that, you know, I want to remind you that you can, you can get uh, bread and juice, and if you can't find that, you can substitute it. I even have heard of people using, you know, milk and Oreos because they didn't have anything else, and they thought they'd just kind of jazz it up a little bit. Uh, the point is, oh, is that you're remembering what Jesus has done. So you might want to pause right now, pause the video, and and uh, go get the elements so that we can partake together. Uh, but I want to leave you with some implications while you're doing that. Implication number one is really simple. The story is good. The story God is telling in the scriptures is good. The story that he's telling in your life is good. And that's not to make light of the things that go wrong and the things that are hard and difficult and, not, and we're not ignoring those things. But when you believe that this God is for you and with you and he's not holding back anything from you and he's not abandoning you and he's always going to be with you, when you believe that and you learn to trust in that, then even when things are hard, your peace cannot be taken away. Implication number two is that you're not a mistake. I'm not a mistake and you're not a mistake. And Genesis 1 teaches that. And it's important because I think a lot of people grow up believing that we are mistakes, which is even more than saying we make mistakes. But I think a lot of people, somehow it's drilled into us that we are mistakes. Some piece of us is bad or wrong. Genesis 1 tells us, tells you and me that God made us the way uh, he wants us to be and that you're not a mistake. Implication number three is that in all of creation, in everything that God made, God sees you as tov meod. Tov meod. Every morning when you get up, maybe you should stand in front of the mirror and remind yourself of God, what God thinks of you. You stand in the mirror and you look at yourself and you say, tov meod, tov meod, very, very good, exponentially better is what he said. You are very, very good. And lastly, I want to just say this. We are a church that reaffirms the truth of who people are, not the mistakes that we've made, not your past. There are enough places in the world that are going to remind you of that. We are a place that calls people to the truth of what God says we are. That's our ammo here at West Seattle Christian. And that's why I like taking communion every week. God says, look, there is no place that I wouldn't cross into to let you know how much I love you. There, there's nothing I wouldn't do. There's no distance I wouldn't go. I am so for you. And there's nothing that you can do to change that. And that's what I'm reminded of when we're taking communion. And so 
That brings us to the words of institution, which are what Paul relates to us in 1 Corinthians 15, when he says, you know, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body for you. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And he said, it's shed for you. And he steps into the breach and he bridges the divide and he conquers sin and death through that. And he reminds us exactly how far he's willing to go because you are tov meod.